Guru Nation, thank you for checking out another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. If this is your first time here, or maybe not, I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, leave a review. I really appreciate it. I wanted to get my sponsors out of the way. The first one is my DSCS site network. We help sites get studies, help them do their budgets, help them with SOPs, a shoulder to cry on, anything you can think of. We help sites across the country do. The more sites in our network, the easier it is for us to get studies and from sponsors and CROs directly. If you're interested, check out the link in the show notes, a low monthly subscription fee. That's my company. Also, CRA Academy. If you're interested in learning how to become a CRA, check out the CRA Academy. The only program out there with a real internship opportunity through my CRO for all graduates of the Academy. Also, CRC Academy, same thing, but for coordinators with real internship opportunities. And now I wanted to get to my sponsors who help make this show consistently available to you and well-produced. First one is Viva Site Vault. Links in the show notes. Free electronic investigator site file. Free digital signatures. Free delegation of authorities log, all digital, go paperless. It's completely free. If you ever wanted to try going digital, at least for the investigator site file, check out Viva, link in the show notes. Next is Versatrial. It keeps your study portals organized. It's collaborative. So all staff at your site can get access and use it. We have 12 15 links sometimes per study to different portals. This keeps everything in one place. It keeps all your passwords. So it's just one click. And it also has an amazing feasibility tool to help you do feasibility surveys a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently for free. Next sponsor is Creo. This is the only one that's not free, but I think it's well worth it. It's eSource, it's eReg, it's CTMS, it's patient recruitment, it's patient payments. And you don't need to try all those things at once. You pay for what you need, but it is amazing. Once you start using it, most likely for the e-source, you're gonna want the CTMS. You're gonna want the automatic invoicing. So when you click on your e-source, dry ice was used for a lab, it will automatically send the invoice to the sponsor for the dry ice, saves you time. Countless things like this in Creo, amazing tool, check it out. Next sponsor is Inato for experienced sites. If you wanna get studies for free, Inato's the way to go. I just got my first study recently through Inato. It did take a few studies for me to filter through, but Inato actually does a really good job of making sure that it's a study that you actually wanna take. And they even do one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls with you and your PI or whomever from the site wants to join to see if a study is the right fit for you. And it's absolutely free. They get nothing out of it. I think the sponsors pay them on the back end. And it's amazing. So check it out. Inato, link underneath in the show notes, free. Finally, my last sponsor, 1N Health. This is a central patient recruitment vendor. They currently do not work with sites. But if you're a sponsor or a CRO, they are the best. I've used all of them. I've been doing this for 17 years plus. They are the best leads, the best interface for coordinators. You can text patients directly from the portal. 
they literally saved one of my studies recently, both at my site. We were just screen failing patients left and right until we finally used one end health and we got ourselves a respectable randomization number all through one end health. And they also did this entire study wide sponsor was able to end enrollment successfully because of them. I've never used, I've never been a fan of central patient recruitment vendors. This is the best one. Check them all out. Links in the show notes. Hey everyone. Welcome to another episode of Darshan Talks. I'm here with the one, the only Dan Safara who runs his own podcast and Dan's going to tell us more about it, but we're hoping to actually be live on his podcast as well. So Dan, first off to you. Hey, thank you. No, I'm not able to restream, but it's okay, Darshan. This is going to go on your LinkedIn. I'm imagining your YouTube. So it I'll is. repost. I'll repost it um, the old-fashioned way. Uh, I don't know if it's legal or not, but that's how I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been busy, man, running the site. Yuma Clinical Trial has been busy reading your post. Actually, somebody forwarded me your own post. He's like, I don't know if you know Darshan. <laughs> cool carney and i said yeah of course i must have missed that post about the um fda audit uh, right the 483 the 483 so on the surface it looked like a you know wow the fda is really cracking down hard on this person for like what seems like just maybe some minor deviations but what what it boils down to is no this pi knew that they were skipping important things and they still chose to do it. It's different than just doing it, but then not really carefully looking at the results, you know, like we can get into the details, but I feel like the FDA inspector auditor, whatever you call them took that into consideration too. Like this person was brazen enough to knowingly ignore <laughs> several key i.e. criteria, which is very different than just overlooking like a lab result. So um, I, I think overall there's been this bump in evaluation of um, audits and research misconduct. And we're seeing that. I've, I've, I've had um, multiple PIs reach out to me over the last few months um, around research misconduct, research fraud issues. And we're seeing larger academic institutions actually take a, take a less tolerant approach to this type of behavior. Hmm. Um, so I'm thinking that this is not a um, one-off. I think that there, there is more coming. Yeah, I, I don't think, think it's a one-off yeah. either. I think it's a wake-up call for sites as a wake-up call for pis i think for pis, PIs uh we've, we've sort of always operated under this yes pis are important but pis work as part of a team and that's always been the case and that's always true um but what is becoming more and more evident is that um doj oig fda are all now taking this broader approach and they're taking the perspective that um, when we say the PI signed 1572, we really mean that the PI is responsible. And what does that mean? I, it is a little bit of an unfair burden on the PI as I see it, because 
how does one human being do all those things? I mean, even supervise, there's a limit to what you can supervise. Right. But in the end, they're responsible. It's, it's similar to like Europe where but they have that, something called responsible party. So, But in this warning letter, okay, it looked like the PI was in full control, fully aware of what's happening. It looked like they were the ones actually saying, you know what? Like we can't get the salivary flow rate. Like let's just skip it. Like what? What a good idea, you know. That's different, Darshan. Like let's. Just, I know you're an attorney. You probably yeah. say, well, under the law. I mean, we can get into that. But sure. being the PI, documenting, hey, this patient cannot produce saliva. Let me give them something so that they can. We can try to get saliva. We still can't. Okay. Let's randomize anyways. That's different than a coordinator putting 0 0.09 salivary right. flow rate when we need 0 0.1 inadvertently randomized. Like, I think the FDA's auditors are human beings. They understand intent. Right. And I think that played a huge factor in this warning letter because that difference, same issue, but the two different responses to it is the difference between receiving a warning letter and receiving like whatever else they send, right? I don't or know. Degrees, or or uh, you could be looking at exclusions and everything else. Yeah. To me, I don't know. Like that's the way I interpret this. Right. And they, there's also further examples in that warning letter of them doing the same thing with x-rays. Like, oh, we didn't get the x-ray. Eh, let's just randomize them anyways, as opposed to we got an x-ray. Maybe the positioning wasn't right as per protocol, but someone still gave it a grade and they got randomized. Like, again, same deviation maybe, but different way that we achieve the deviation. One can be corrected. The other can't because one is a mentality. The other one's maybe a process error. I'm pretty sure the FDA looked at that like we're never going to be able to have a CAPA plan for a PI that's arrogant enough to do whatever they want, but we can right. have a capital plan for a coordinator that's, Oh, you know what? Like we're off by 0.01, like our bad, like we won't do it again. Right. The, the thing I've seen when I audit facilities tends to be that they'll just usually brush this, brush this under the rug and then say things like, Oh, um, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, just retrain people and, and and the problem is retraining as you're pointing out is not the solution it's it's <laughs> really i mean you've, if you've trained the same pi the same workforce multiple times um there's, well you there's, can retrain a process issue you can't retrain a mentality like of, yeah. i'm gonna do what i want exactly exactly and i'm sure the fda no, like the auditor i want to believe that the auditor would have responded differently had you know, comparing my two examples, like I don't think both of those sites get a warning letter. No, I, I don't think they both get a warning letter. I think one might be uh, either a conversation or more likely a 483. Um, the warning letters usually for, tend to be um, the situation where it'll be preliminary. And um, you know what? It's It's either really, really bad or you ignored the 483. That those are the general two situations you'll see warning letters. Um, and I'm guessing that if it came to a warning letter in this scenario, it was, it was probably more the the PI 
ignored or didn't escalate or didn't take it as seriously as he or she probably should have. Right. Yeah. Cause in this example, they even referenced that the investigator did reply to the warning letter, but it was insufficient exactly. explanation. Now, can you break it down for us? Like um, for your audience, for mine, uh, the outcomes of a FDA audit at a site, like the potential outcomes, what are like, how many are there? And then what, can you just walk us through that? Absolutely. So there, and it's funny you say that I'm actually in the middle of writing and doing a podcast on something similar to this, but um, the, the key things generally land up being, you might have untitled letters, uh, but before that you might really just have a conversation. And the, let's say the FDA auditor comes in and says, look, we found these problems, these issues you really need to focus on. And typically the side goes, you're right. We'll make sure we take care of that. Then you might have um, these issues. I need to write them down because they reflect something that I'm concerned about. I want you to take them seriously. That's your 483. Um, oh, so one up, one alternative is you don't get a 483. You just yeah, one alternative is you just have a conversation. I see. Um, but it's documented in some kind of form. Uh, it's a, no, it's just a conversation. It might be internal records, but uh, at the at the actual official level. Is only the the written 483. Okay. Okay. Um, then then after the 483, you might be in a scenario where the um, inspector comes in second time or third time and notices that it's the same problems over and over and over again, and they go, "Yeah, this is a warning letter at this point," mm-hmm. uh, or it's something that really compromised patient safety. It's automatically a warning letter at that point. So, for okay. example. Um, as you pointed out, you might be in a scenario where um, patients, like people didn't qualify. So your LFTs are through the roof and you still include the person in your study when that was an exclusion criteria. Well, it's an exclusion criteria, not only because it compromises the potential efficacy of the drug, but potential safety of the patient. And, and you put the patient in, that compromises everything. So that might take you to a um, warning letter directly. Um you, you then might land up in a scenario where you are um, escalated and you have a chance to sort of negotiate. You have a chance to sort of tell the FDA your side of the story. Um, but after that, they might say, we want to um, exclude you from participating with the FDA. And I've, wor- I've worked with clients like that, where they just go, you're not allowed to participate any further. Uh, in in research. In research. Okay. Um, you might, you might also have a scenario where they say you might, you're not allowed to participate in any business involving a drug company. And I've had scenarios where you go, what does the word involving a drug company mean? Because involving could just mean everything from I'm an employee of the drug company mm-hmm. to I'm a contractor of the drug company to, um, to I work as a as a contractor for a contractor for a drug company. So, for example, I sweep floors at PPD. Am I now not allowed to sweep sweep floors at PPD? What if I volunteered to sleep to sweep floors at PPD? Is that still a problem? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I could see that, but but the funny like, thing is, I actually had this happen, and I've had sites be shut down because of it. Sites, so, so so a coordinator basically getting banned from research or? No, in this, in the one situation, it was a volunteer for a contractor 
for a site wow. um, who was banned. So the FDA, it goes beyond just the PIs. They can ban. Correct. So how, how are they banned? They're given a 483 to the individual? The, so they don't, you don't get what's called a 483. You get what's called excluded. You might have a five-year exclusion. You might have a permanent exclusion. Wow, I see. But right. those are not as common as warning not as letters. Com- no, no, no. Of course not. Of course not. But it happens more often than you think. Like, can you comment on what were the specifics of this? Individual? I can't comment on the specifics, no, because that'd be attorney-client privilege issues. Mm. But but you can find a bunch of them on the FDA um, website. I'm happy to provide a link, and we can talk through that okay. as well. Yeah, um, I'd be curious to see what I'd be curious to see why, in that case, the PI was not held responsible for the conduct of the individual. So, so it didn't get to the FDA in that specific context. What happened there was a sponsor found out that the site had a um, cons- had a consulting company or contractor that had a volunteer. So we're talking about four levels of separation. Mm-hmm. And the sponsor terminated the study, reached out to the IRB. And you're I just see. going... That's ridiculous. So then the IRB came in, did an audit. Right. And then they called the, or I don't know if you called. The FDA may have to be involved. The question is, should the FDA be involved? The person person who was excluded was not getting paid, was not getting paid by the site, was not getting paid by the consultant to the site. So what exactly are we worried about here? Yeah. Huh. All right. That's, I mean, that's interesting to me. So... There's a lot to unpack, I guess, in all this. But in your in your experiences, these auditor, these inspectors, they're human being. In many right. cases, or maybe in all cases, there's like a, they're, they're given subjective leeway as far as should I issue this 43? Should I not? In the example you posted on LinkedIn, which um, I read. Mm-hmm. Would you suspect, or maybe you know, but would you suspect that this was a follow-up audit? Because in the in the letter it said they spent like the entire month at the site. Yeah. So, like, do you think that PI was given a chance before that was undocumented? Like, hey, you know what? We're gonna audit you again if like this keeps happening, and then it happened. This was like another example. Is that like common for you, or do you think this was? Like a one-time, one-month audit. One month is insane for an audit. Exactly. So you don't do a, you don't do a one-month audit unless there was something else that happened in the past. I so see. this may have been the second audit. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense because one month is crazy, yeah. man. Even you don't one walk month- in to do one, one a one-month audit. <laughs> if that happened, <laughs> one of two things happened in that case, right? Either this was a second audit and you knew there were problems the first time or the second time, mm. or you came in and you saw an absolute shit show. <laughs> and you gave them a chance to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to come back. Like, these well, things need to be fixed. You were there for a month. Chances are you've given them lots of chances. and You've had lots of conversations. Wow. That's you, crazy. One month. But in one month, they only found, like, three deviations. No. I remember, those may be the three deviations they want to point out. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, At the warning letter level, you don't raise everything. 
I see. Wow. In those cases, can, can't the CRA, I know the whole purpose of your post, well, the whole purpose of my opinion on it was, hey, sites, like, the, you shouldn't rely on your CRA yeah. for compliance. Like, they're not a free QA person for your site, as we all look at them, uh, as we hope they are, but they're humans as well. But wouldn't, wouldn't the auditor look at the monitoring and say, hey, like, you're not off the hook either? So it's funny you talk about this. So the um, couple of things that are coming up. One is um, HHS and ORI basically came out. O ORI for some people who aren't aware is the Office of Research Integrity. People don't even know, aren't even are not even aware that this agency exists. Where they but, So look at Research Integrity, and they they are the ones who define things like research misconduct. Um, so I don't know if you saw, I had a thing on Stanford being cited for research misconduct. I saw something. I didn't look under the hood on that one. Like I did yeah. on this other one. Yeah. But I saw. So, and I'm not saying this about Stanford specifically. I'm just saying in general, <laughs> the idea, the, the proposal that just came out from HHS on, on redefining research misconduct and the like was we want, if you guys do audits, we're going to start putting those audit results, even if they're internal, out in public. Okay. And that's hugely problematic. because. But even if they're not worthy of, like, warning letters or... And, and that's part of the discussions and negotiations and all that stuff that's going to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't see anything wrong. They should do that for all sites. Well... That's fine, but number one, it's not always just going to be the sites. It might be the CROs. It might be the sponsors. There may be confidential information that you're playing with. So yeah. this is why people will just go, I'd rather, I'd rather hire an attorney because you get attorney-client privilege, and that can't be disclosed. Darshan ain't never going out of business. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, okay. That's, that's the sweet spot for you. Yeah, the ORI, it's probably the first time I heard of it come to think of it um i know the ohrp fda Correct. but who like runs all these things it's just hhs hhs runs terms. all of it yeah so far everything we've discussed so far is hhs okay but what surprises a lot of people like agencies that you never thought had jurisdiction u.s postal service has a huge impact on what's being done so your br drugs that are being brought in from india or china whatever it is those might be resulting, like, um, obviously, Border Patrol cares about it. Border Patrol, yeah. But, but USPS is huge. Um, data that you're transmitting back and forth. Obviously, there are HIPAA implications, uh, but HIPAA is actually OCR, Office of Civil Rights. Um, again, that's under HHS as well. But that surprises a lot of people. Yeah, that's incredible. Um yeah. But it's not very practical for like sites. Like, no, you're never going to well, run across this. Most likely, um, most likely. Well, think about how your data is being transmitted and the like, right? So it might really be a sponsor issue primarily, mm. unless the site creates uh, discrepancies. I... Here, here's a really basic question, um, and so I don't like raising this question because no one really, really knows the answer to this question. Those are um, the best ones for podcasts. Yeah, I guess. But as an attorney, I don't want to be, want to be asked this question. Uh, um, is information 
given as part of research subject to HIPAA? Um, so I believe, well, I asked a few big companies like uh -huh. publicly traded Kungal, uh -huh. huge. Sure. sure. And they said, no. I'm sure as they said long, no. As long as they're 21 CFR Part 11. That has that nothing to do with the part. Part 11 compliance has nothing to do with data privacy. Well, maybe they quoted something else. They quoted something Fair in enough. CFR with the electronic oh, sure systems and limited access. And... That's part 11. Okay, so that's what they quoted then. <laughs> but here, so part 11 really goes to the fact that uh, it's permanent and you can't get rid of data. But but that's not the same thing as data security and data privacy. So like data and data leaks. security is different from data privacy. So like data leaks. Data leaks and stuff like that. That's not covered under part 11. So I've been told the new, yeah. the new trend, I'm not going to name companies, but the new trend now from these tech companies is, yeah, you can actually upload patient medical records to your e-source mm -hmm. or your e-reg. And as long as you're restricting access to who gets it, um, you don't need to take measures to de-identify the patients. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm not even going to touch that. that. That's a paid consult right there. And I would not. That's a, that's a. I mean, it's in their SOPs, and there's these are like dozens of companies. It's not just like one or two. I mean, this is like the new standard, like the new norm. Here's here's the issue with that. Number you one, never going patient... out of business. <laughs> Did the patient consent to this? Like, let, let's start with the really basic. That's what question. they say. The patient consented in the consent form. There is like these okay, clauses saying... now, where so, your data but... will be shared only with parties, right? So that's assuming there's no leak. Because if there okay. is a leak, then the let's assume no leak. Let's assume yeah. no leak, right? Yeah. So let's start from there. So now we, we assume that the data we, we went away from PIs, but this is always a fun conversation. Yeah. yeah but yeah. um let's let's assume no leak. The patient has consented that it'll be given for to the to uh the data will be shared with individuals um who are conducting research. Let's say that's what the language says. Yes. Um in that scenario, people who are conducting research would include the site, would include the IRB, might yeah. include the... Uh, now, I don't know if you've tried to ever submit patient data to the IRB. They will refuse that as much as they possibly can. So they think it's subject to HIPAA. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't want you sending them patient, uh, PPI or PHI. Like medical records. Yeah. Right. Um, so you already have a conflict between what the IRB sees and the sponsor sees. Um, in the in the context of whether it's subject, whether it's PHI or not, right? Um, then the CRO will see it. But when was the last time you had your CRO sign a BAA? Well, never. They don't they exactly. Don't that. Well, that's my point. So you assume is it, they have internal things that they sign. No, but but that's not what covers a BAA. A BAA uh, is covering the CRO to the site. Internal has nothing to do with what's happening externally here. So your advice for sites is, hey, no matter what anyone tells you, redact patient records before uploading them just to be on the safe side. That would be ideal. But then the question is, how do you identify the patient? How do you know you're doing it for the right patient? I don't know. I mean, date of birth, right? Maybe, but then that's still PHI, isn't it? Nah, what can you do with a date of birth and a diagnosis? You'd be surprised. Do you know how? Do you know how much information it takes to identify any person in the world right now? 
three bits of information. I just got an email that my social security was on the dark web. So yeah, my social security has been on the dark web for I don't know how long. <laughs> I think they just do that as a fear tactic to get you. No, no, no. I'm, I am positive I could find my social security number on the dark web. Like wow. it wouldn't be that hard at all. Yeah. Um, but I can't live in fear is what it's come down to at this point for me. All right. Fair enough. But this stuff's complicated. Um, right. Okay. I might have our staff just redact our records again. I always thought that was the right thing to do, but then I'm like, nah, you don't really have to, as long as they stay here and it's like e signed. Yeah, but so so we we were we didn't quite finish that analysis, so we went okay. So you you uploaded this record that this that the sponsor now has access to, which the sponsor specifically says, I will not sign it sign a BA because we're not subject to it. I, I right. I've negotiated this with multiple sponsors who will basically disavow, do not send me PHI because I'm not signing your BAA because right. we are not a, a HIPAA covered entity. Um, they're not you know, like sponsors no, or not. Most sponsors refuse to become a HIPAA covered entity. Why? Because the amount of effort it takes. I, I did a, a hip, like helped a company, a brand new company. Like I'm talking about, they started from zero. So I constructed every single thing. We got it up to being quote unquote basic HIPAA compliance. It was a one year process, cost $200,000. There were no legacy systems, nothing to worry about. I mean, sites don't do any of this stuff. Exactly. There's a this is why you need to be careful. Um, I see. The, and who's who audits this? Who regulates OCR, this? Office of Civil Rights. The penalties can be in the millions. Ask your insurance company what they would charge to give you insurance for data security. Right. So the advice for sites is always err on the side of caution. Yeah. No matter what. You are told by your CRA, your sponsor. Just like old school. I think it was a lot more simple in the old days of paper. Like, hey, we were taught Sharpie out. Yeah. yeah. Anything. Yeah. Right. Now yeah. it got a little more like willy-nilly with the emrs and ah, oh, well this one's okay i know when i monitored because i have like the i have the background of also monitoring like yeah I've, i dabbled i remember i remember yeah so i would go to universities like prestigious places and yeah they would just give me patient records like right to look at right and had you ever signed a ba or anything nope did the company sign did you sign a confidentiality nope. agree with the company and did the, you get training? The, the cro that contracted yeah. me said hey make sure you scan all documents <laughs> right. from your visit and then yeah. i didn't have a scanner so phone you right. know and how secure is that phone uh, it's not and exactly. so i yeah and so i you know it got me thinking well this is like prestigious right. university right right it must be okay <laughs> exactly. and that's, i guess that's a big mistake because yeah what we're learning is these prestigious universities, either they don't. I mean, there was Duke that, here. in the context of research misconduct, Duke, I think, went, paid like a $180 million fine. Stanford just did this. I forget what their number was. My point is, prestigious universities are prestigious because of the type of work they do. It doesn't mean that their processes are completely clean. No one, multi-billion dollar corporations are not completely clean. And right. they're taking, all these companies are taking efforts to be compliant. But it's really, really, really difficult to do that. 
Yeah, I guess just err on the side of caution. I mean, yeah, it's gonna it'll help me revise our SOPs. Actually, our SOPs say, you know, the right way to. The question is not whether the SOPs say. Do you do it? Is is, do you do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the and good thing fact, about our system, your SOPs. In fact, if your SOPs say something and you don't do it, you have a violation. You have a deviation. Right, right. No, no, I know. You can actually go and redact the, the documents within these systems, so it should be relatively sure. simple. Uh, okay. But, but let me take one more. Let me finish the analysis there a little bit. Mm -hmm. If if you the the redaction and the like, but the the tech companies want you to upload this data, right? That's what we just said. Here, here's my question: These tech vendors, right? Um, in those scenarios, um, why do they want you to do it? Because they get access to that data. And then they get to use that data, for example, to train an AI. Mm. Uh, yeah, that is not good because that—that's uh, <laughs> like in perpetuity, right there. Oh, the question then becomes: Did when the patient gave the consent, they gave it for research? Or right. The entities involved in the research did they ever actually give up ownership, or did they only give up? The data to the extent necessary for research. Right, right. I see. Uh, another issue is these that no one's really talking about, and this is why you'll never go out of business, or people like you, or these tech vendors, um, like patient-reported outcomes. Right. Yep. Yep. I've had same. Yeah. This is your show. You got to tell people it's not legal <laughs> advice. I have nothing. No. No license to lose. Uh, I've had same year, two different studies. Yeah. Same tech vendor for PRO, patient reported outcomes. One sponsor insisted do not put patient phone numbers or emails in this thing. Right. Yeah. That was a European sponsor. Yeah. The other one, blue blooded American sponsor. Yeah. Said, no, why would you not put the patient email in here? How do we know it's not fraud? How do we know it's not you doing their surveys for them? Right. Both have like valid points. So we just do what we're told. Well, also, one is subject to GDPR, the other one isn't. Sure. <laughs> GDPR is like the fines. Do you know what the penalties for GDPR are? I know California does it too, no? So California has what's called CCPA, okay. CPRA, and now there's CMEA as well. Well, um, and they're looking at new ones. Straight up CCP. That's different. <laughs> not to be confused. I think that's CCCP, I believe. Uh, I thought it was three Cs, but uh, yes. Uh, um, only two. Is it two? Okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, interesting. They And they have all kinds of laws. Yeah. They do. It also doesn't exist. That's right. But they, yeah, we just do what we're told. As, but the whole point of this uh, sites, like we... Sponsors pay us. Yeah. And we do what we're told. Yeah. And then if we get in trouble, though, this is the problem. Like, we're held responsible, not the sponsor. I mean, sure, they're probably held responsible, too. But this is why you need someone like Darshan. Hey, man, you know, we ran into some issues. Help get us out of this, right? That's basically what you deal with. Yeah. Regular, <laughs> regular basis. That that that's my bread and butter. Yeah. Who calls you more sites or sponsors or CROs? All of the above. Like but I, I depends on different things. 
Yeah, for the most part. Um, I think it's for different things. So sponsors will call up to basically go, I need to get us get a research program in place, uh, negotiate my agreements. Um, my, do am I subject to any compliance issues? Mm-hmm. CROs will call up saying negotiate for me, so negotiate with the sponsor for me, negotiate with the site for me. Um, every so often, tell me a little bit about privacy considerations, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the site will call me saying, can you be our HRPP, uh, Human Research Protection Program uh, officer? Can you uh, can you actually negotiate contracts with me with the CRO or the sponsor? Um, will you uh, respond to research misconduct allegations that I'm facing? as a PI or as a site, mm-hmm. all of those come up for me. Um, and then other issues, obviously, but the idea is I can see it from all the different sides. So then I can go, here's what they're thinking. Here's how we need to address this. Cause I was thinking that when I was negotiating that agreement. Mm-hmm. I see. All right. So then, I mean, ultimately at the site level, it boils down to PI oversight, all these issues. Right, like if you have a HIPAA compliance issue, that's PI. If you've got a protocol GCP, that's PI. Everything's PI. So here's the funny thing: I've actually been in in situations where you've got delegation logs, and the PI has delegated something. They all have a delegation. Yeah, my my point being the the second sentence, which is in the delegation log, the PI has a delegation, Uh and I'm going, do you do you see a problem with that? I do. I've had a study like that where, like, the PI is like on the log also, and it makes. Why is no that sense. a problem then? It makes no sense because he, what? he or she is supposed to do everything. He or she does the delegating. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So, so the point we're making is that sites need to understand what they're saying. Just because you put a name on there doesn't make them like what they were trying to say is responsibilities. Except the PI is responsible overall, anyways. Right. If you're telling me that your PI is not allowed to do something, that would be terrifying, because the PI is responsible for the whole thing. Right. But the PI. So per, here's a good example: IATA, right? Processing and shipping dangerous goods and substances, mm-hmm. or biological, not just dangerous. Uh, PIs are never on that because they don't have IATA cert and they don't do that. So, you know, they're not. They're, but they are responsible for how it's done at the site, but they're not the ones doing it, nor right. are they allowed to do it. Right, right. Unless but, they were to get IATA correct. certificate, which no PI in their right mind is going to do. <laughs> right. But here's my question. Would that be considered to be part of research? Uh, well, yeah, because it's lab processing labs for a study that you're shipping out. Like, you have to. Well... It comes down to the definition of PI responsibilities. And I, I'd have to look back at the guidance. Mm-hmm. I don't know if shipping of products is considered to be PI responsibility. Uh, I think it's packaging and then signing the is air it? bill. Packaging okay. and signing the air bill. So, so like maybe, the one that, who verifies maybe. how much dry ice is in this box. Right. You know, and then you have to right. sign it. Right. So that might be the end point. Your door is the end point of your responsibility. Mm-hmm. the IDA certification would go farther than that. Mm-hmm. And you're responsible to look at more and audit and all those good things from there. Yeah. I think FedEx must have got audited by someone because they're, they're used to just not care <laughs> when you drop off shipments with dry ice. Yeah. And now they'll like, they'll weigh it. They'll ask you like, is this how many kilograms? Oh, they don't match up. 
Or they even asked me recently, is the person who signed this air bill IATA certified? They never used to talk like that before. <laughs> so something has to happen at FedEx. You're not so, involved in this? Well, so what's been happening in general is that there's a lot of like import-export scrutiny mm-hmm. for uh, mislabeled drugs and adulterated drugs coming into and out of the country. Mm-hmm. So I don't know specifically what happened in that context, but... I think you're it, missing out on a good client, man. FedEx. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad client to have, Darshan. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say no to them. I I think I agree in general, which is PI oversight plays a role. So um, we agree with you, Ingrid. Well, yeah, PI oversight is the role. <laughs> Everything else is up for debate, Ingrid. You're right. The interesting stuff's like, well, what and then what? Yeah. Um, so we, we this was a fun conversation because we really tried to focus on PIs, but landed up talking a little bit about uh, health tech. But we we should probably do another one of these. I can talk a little bit more about the other fraud issues we're seeing. Maybe talk a little bit about ORI because yeah, most no people don't anything. know about ORI. I think that's the first time I I think heard about it. Who knows? Yeah, if you're on LinkedIn, you read all kind, you see all kinds of stuff, and you don't remember what you saw. (laughs) Yeah, same difference. (laughs) There's just too much information being thrown at you. You've got to pick and choose what you're going to do a deeper dive into. Well, inside owners need to stay pragmatic. Like, not everything's really important, unless Darshan tells you it is. (laughs) Well, reach out to me, and I'll tell you. Um, But. Before we go, Dan, and I know this is going to get on onto your podcast as well. How can people reach you? I know how LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever you guys want. YouTube, get the book. <laughs> Email Darshan and ask them how do I get a hold of Dan. Absolutely, Those are my favorite ways to get contacted. <laughs> Perfect, Dan. Thank you again. Thank you, Darshan. <laughs>